message. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 2 this morning. And please do come clothe the church because... And even if you come partially clothed like Michael, at least have the right partial clothed. <laughs> I asked Michael what happened to his britches today. Because they're usually shorts or pants. And he said Amber wanted to fix him up and made him capris. <laughs> he said don't tell anybody that though. So I just did. Yeah. Michael, I'm just glad you're here, buddy. Matthew chapter 2. Let's begin with verse 1. Again, another part of the Christmas narrative that we find in Scripture. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Can you say a big fat lie? You didn't say it. Okay. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful to be here. We're grateful you've allowed us to have the health to be here. We're grateful we live in a free land where we can gather and worship as we feel led to do. Father, we're grateful that you're here with us this morning. You've promised that where two or three gathered in the name of Jesus, there he would be in our midst. And we know that you are here. By the power of your Holy Spirit, have freedom to move among us. Lord Jesus, uh, there are those who have never accepted Jesus Christ, accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior publicly. And they need to do that this morning. What a greater gift could they give to their families than to surrender to you this morning. Father, There are others that have many other needs, and we ask you to meet us at our greatest need this morning. But Father, most of all, just have your way with us and make your word come alive that we leave this place continuing to sing your praises, saying it was good to be in the Lord's house today. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I could ask you what worship means to you because I wanted to look at worship the King, worship the Christ of Christmas. 
Worship means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Okay? Some think worship is real joyful and exuberant. Others think that it's very solemn and quiet. I don't argue with either one. It can be either one. Some think that worship only happens during the music. That's okay. And some think it only happens during the preaching or the Sunday school hour. It's okay also. Some think that worship isn't complete unless you have your family with you. If you haven't realized, your brothers and sisters in Christ are your family. Some think that worship has to be big and a big production. Others think that it has to be simple. I don't know where you come from in those different arrangements of worship. I'll tell you what I know worship is not. I want you to hear what worship is not. Worship is not coming together for the same oha. Worship is not mumbling some songs instead of singing them joyfully. Worship is not saying, oh, another Christmas story. Will he ever preach anything different? Sort of like the fellow who told his wife, I'm not going to church anymore. All they ever talk about is baby being born and, and Jesus raising from the dead. Wouldn't they get tired of hearing that all the time? And it tells me how often that guy came to church. Christmas and Easter, if you didn't follow. So what do we think of about worship? You see, worship should be always our expression of gratitude for God's grace in our lives. Worship should always be our expression of gratitude for God's grace in our lives. That He revealed Himself to us. That He called us to be saved. That He continues to walk with us and talk with us on a daily basis. Worship can happen anywhere at any time and should Worship can be planned, believe it or not, and worship can be spontaneous. But we need to understand none of those things are really the question. The question is, did we come to worship? These wise men came to worship. If we're going to worship, there's at least three things from this story in the Bible that we have to do. All of us have to do. The first one is sin. If if we're to worship, we need to come to the right person. We need to come to the right person. Now, they come. It says, in the days after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, uh, behold, wise men came from the east, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, you see... There were some that were ready for worship and some that were not. You have to come to the right person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You may not think it, but a lot of folks don't worship as we worship. There are some that worship at the altar of success. Some worship at the altar of of money. Some at things. Some at other people. Some at sports. Some at hunting. Some at shopping. We all had to be careful to come to the right person. But I see three different groups in this whole Christmas story. I see the discerning, first of all. Who are the discerning? These are the wise men who came from the east. We sing a song that says, We three kings of Orient are. It doesn't say they were kings. It does not say there were three of them. We assume there were because there were three gifts. We don't know. 
The Bible does not say. It does say they were wise men from the east. We would call them magi. Probably from the area of ancient Persia. It would be modern day Iraq and Iran. Somewhere in that area they came. Now they were discerning because they had seen his star in the east. So they were astronomers. And they realized this special star proclaimed the birth of a mighty king. The only true king, Jesus. Now how did they know that? If you read Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Daniel had been made the chief of all the astrologers of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. When his son Belshazzar has that feast and a finger writes on the wall and nobody can read it, the queen says, your father had a guy that is full of wisdom. And they called Daniel to read it. And if you don't know the rest of the story, you can read that story. But you see, Daniel had influenced them so they knew the Jewish writings and the Jewish prophets. And at some point, they knew the real God. But in all the other things, they knew Israel's writings of a king that was coming. And they saw his star, and they make their way, and they think if it's a king, he's going to be born in Jerusalem, where Herod was king. And it says, and they ask, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? In the Greek, it means they kept asking. In other words, as they went through town, they asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? They asked somebody else. The whole town's in a stir. Herod's troubled and all of Jerusalem with him, because when Herod was upset, people died. They figured he'd be right there and he would know. He didn't know. He had to ask the scribes, the Pharisees, and the priests, where is he used to be born? You see, when they talk about Herod, I called him not the discerning like the wise men, but the deleterious. Now, that's a big fancy word and it means dangerous or harmful in a subtle way. I could have said that, but that was too many words. So it's deleterious. You can look that up. Dangerous or subtle? That was Herod. He's sort of like that snake. He's dangerous. Subtly. Be careful, buddy. Wear gloves before you feed them mice to him because he'll bite if he smells a mouse. There's somebody else has a snake. Do you still have that snake or did you get rid of it after the baby came? Now, we need to skin that thing, eat it, and make a belt. That's dangerous around that baby. You're trying to sell him. Okay, well, get rid of him. If you have trouble, I'll make you steak kebabs. (laughs) Back to the story. Yeah, I know. Talk about snakes, okay. That would be a good, deleterious, that would be a good description of Herod, a snake. He was so evil, he slayed most of his sons. Not all of them, but most of them because he was afraid they were going to take over his kingdom. He was so evil, he thought his, one of his wives was plotting against him. He had her strangled in front of him. And then he encased her in honey so he could look at her every night. Does that give you a picture of what he was like? And when he says, you go find the baby and bring word back to me where he is so I can worship. That's a lie. He's dangerous in a subtle way. What he does later is what he planned on doing. He, he took them aside and found when the baby was born. And you read the rest of the story. And it says that in the area of Bethlehem, after Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus had fled to Egypt because the angel told them to go there, that he slaughtered all the male babies in that whole region under two years and under. And 
that fulfilled one of the prophecies that said in Ramah, a voice crying, Rachel weeping over her loved ones. She will not be comforted because they are no more. Danger. I want you to understand something. We should all come discerning when we come to worship. We worship a holy God. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Holy, holy, holy. And if you hadn't realized it, to come in the wrong way is dangerous. If you don't believe that's a New Testament thing, look at Ananias and Sapphira. And I think it's is it Acts chapter 5 or 6. And see what happened to them when they wanted to put on airs and pretend. Enough of that. Let's go on. But I also see the dedication. Okay. Now, this isn't something that you need to understand. You see, they asked the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, where's he going to be born? Bethlehem. Well, somebody's asking, we've seen his star in the east. Why would they not go and find out? There was no dedication. The dedication comes from these wise men who have traveled all the way from Iran or Iraq. And most scholars think that Jesus is almost two years old. It says they came in and saw the child and his mother in the house. They've stayed there. But they were dedicated. How hard was it to get to worship the king? They had to leave families and friends behind. They had to go on a costly, dangerous journey. Uh, They had to brave uh, the crossings of rivers and the wilds and the bandits. They They had to work at it. Don't just think you just come in and plop down in a pew and you're ready for worship. What you do in private during your Bible study and prayer time prepares you for worship now. I want to say it again. If you're not doing a Bible study and prayer time, I'm not saying you can't worship, but it's not going to be the full experience that God wants you to have when you come and plop down in a pew. There's nothing wrong with plopping in a pew. I'm glad you're here. But all of us, from me down, have to realize that preparation for worship takes effort. Yeah. It takes to get us in the right frame of mind. Sometimes Elizabeth has to adjust my attitude. We won't say how she does that, but sometimes she has to. You know, they don't want to go to church today. They don't like me. You're the preacher. You have to go. Same thing as being a teacher. You have to be dedicated. You have to prepare for worship. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again so you'll understand. Whenever you're coming to church, I don't care whether it's Wednesday night, I don't care whether it's Sundays, Satan is going to do something to discourage you. Satan is going to make you have a hard day. I'll never forget that it didn't matter how early we got up. You get the kids ready, fed, clothed. You know, I would go to the early service and she'd come after me. Sometimes she'd just be in tears because as soon as she got Matthew ready, he'd sneak out and play in the mud. Or one of the girls when they were little would have to change a diaper. And as soon as you got one changed, you're already late, but you got to change the other one because she decides if she can do it, I can do it. It's sort of like having kids. If she can do it, I can do it. But not only that, you'll have a bad day at work on Wednesdays. 
Things will not be right on Sunday mornings. Just get ready for it. Pray through it. Realize that Satan's trying to steal your blessing of worshiping with brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ at the place we call church. If you're going to worship, you got to plow forward. Now, there are times when you will be hindered and can't come. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you really want to worship, if you really want to experience Jesus high and lifted up, then you have to get ready spiritually. You have to depend on the Holy Spirit to help you get ready for worship, just as I have to get ready for worship. Are we ready for worship? Have you come to the right person? Some in here will worship a lot of things other than Jesus. Some are hung up on hunting, some on fishing, some on work, some on blah, 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 and you can fill in the blank. That's not the right thing to worship. Some really worship themselves. You say, I I don't believe that. Sure you do. You think you've got it under control. You've got it handled. Somehow God understands. You can wait. And God didn't say you could wait. He said, respond when I call you. Let's go on. Y'all are getting quiet. So we, we had to come to the right person. And here's the hard part. We have to have the proper attitudes. We have to have the proper attitudes. Attitude is 90% of everything we do. It can be, oh boy, I get to come to church, or I get to come to church. It's like getting up and go to work on Monday. Oh boy, I got a job, or it's a Monday morning, I got to go to work. It's all a matter of attitude. Now, what do I see? I see the arranger again, Herod. He's trying to arrange things. Finds out when the baby was born. I'm going to take care of this threat to my throne. When they come back, I'll kill this king of the Jews. That's your song for this morning. (laughs) Elizabeth's looking at me like, stop. It's creative movement, baby. It's not dancing. Because I have no creative movement in dancing. Too many of us think we got things handled. God, we want you to do this. We pray for this and that. But, but we try to arrange it the way we want it. The way we think God should answer us. God is not our spiritual genie. He is not our lackey to do what we want. He is Lord and Savior. He is King of kings. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one that knows everything, who is all-powerful, who is ever-present with us. The Holy Spirit residing in us if we've accepted Christ. We are to do His bidding. And those things we're trying to arrange, you ever notice that God hardly ever answers those kind of things? He has a better way. And when, he find, when we finally let it go and He does it, we find out, that was a lot better than I thought it would be. Didn't happen the way I thought it would, but boy, you did a good job, God. Quit trying to be an arranger. Trust God. But then I see the apathetic. I've already mentioned this once, but you talk about full of apathy. I cannot get it that that these Jews knew the true God. They had a temple there. 
They knew the law forward and backwards. They knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. And when they say the king of the Jews has been born, they didn't care. They didn't go with the wise men. They didn't say, when did his star appear? And people have been trying to figure out for decades, centuries, what the star was. Oh, it was an alignment of planets. It was a special Christmas star. It was a Shekinah glory of God given to people who needed to know the Savior. If you come up with a better explanation, good luck. You can come up with your own. That's just what I think it was. But they were totally apathetic. <coughs> Let's stop middle a little bit. Elizabeth, don't worry. I can't look at her. She's giving me the look. When we come to worship, do we enjoy the singing? That was terrible, wasn't it? You see, we get to sing the hymns or we get to sing the specials. Some of y'all need to be singing more specials. Elizabeth. Robin and Randy aren't here today. I'd say Robin too, but you can tell her I talked about her in church. That'll, That'll get her going. Okay. And there's others of you that have gifts. I can hear you singing. You need to be singing. Because that's your gift. And not to do so means you're a little apathetic. Well, that, that's a judgment call. Well, okay, whatever. If it doesn't thrill your heart to sing praises to God with God's people, I want to ask, what's wrong? Well, I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, I don't think God likes that attitude. If you're not using your gift in church, you're a little apathetic. If you're not excited about knowing Jesus, you're a lot apathetic because he saved your soul for eternity and you don't want to sing his praises or you don't want to show up and serve him or you don't want to study the Bible or etc., etc., etc. Well, that's not me, Brother Gary. Well, good. Point to somebody else, just don't let me see you pointing. See, if I don't have the right attitude, I'm a little apathetic. They never listen. I'll say one thing and they hear something totally different. And so Elizabeth said, well, check and make sure what you're saying. She's good at adjusting my attitude in in a loving way. And so is God. Are we apathetic in our worship? Do we expect God to move? Do we expect God to answer our prayers? Do we expect God to bring us the joy of our salvation? And if not, what's wrong? I see the adoring. Here he comes. They fall down in front of Jesus and they worship him. He is worthy of worship and they adore him. They've traveled all this way. Nothing has stopped them. Nothing's going to stop them. They make their way. They enter the house. They see him. They fall down and worship him. And then they bring forth their gifts. They adore him.
Now, I don't want you answering this out loud. I had to ask myself this question. When was the last time that you really adored Jesus? I mean, we adore looking at all the little babies in the church and the young kids, or I do. I don't know about you, but I, I just think they're precious. They're special gifts from God. I even adore the teenagers. Uh, how do I want to say that, Brother Galen? Nicely. He says, don't ask me. Cause, okay. Because I see the wonder in their faces and the questions and the sly looks like they think that we don't know what they're doing. Forgetting that as old as I am, I was a teenage boy and I did things that um, my mother thought wasn't very adorable. So don't try it. We've seen it all. But when was the last time you really adored Jesus? When I really adored Jesus? When we were just enraptured in his presence? These men fell down and worshipped. They could do no less. The long-awaited Messiah, the King of the Jews, the one who'd been prophesied, the one that I think Daniel had told them about the one true God. His son has come, the King of kings, and they fall down and worship. Illustration for adoring Jesus. Before he died, Mary broke the oil and poured it on him and wiped his feet with her hair. That's adoration. Because I may love you, and I do. But what little hair I have is not going to be used on your feet. <laughs> Nasty. And in that day, it was sandals and dust. Adoration. We give to support our foreign missionaries. On those fields, they sow, show Christ's dedication. They show Christ's adoration to the po- folks they're ministering to in lands we cannot imagine giving up what we cling to adoration you see we come with the proper attitudes the proper attitude is not brother Gary somebody left the lights on Brother Gary, it's too hot in here. Brother Gary, it's too loud in here. Brother Gary, it's too quiet in here. Brother Gary, it's this or it's that. Or Brother Galen, I need you to run and do this. And Brother Galen, I need you to run and do that. I've got news for you. If you haven't realized this, I want, I want you to hear this. Brother Galen is not the lackey around here. You don't ask me to do it because I'm going to tell you no. Brother Galen is gracious. He is kind. He's got a servant's heart. He is better than me. But I want to tell you something. He has a lot of work to do. So if it's something you can take care of, take care of it. If it's something you need his help with, give him a little notice instead of coming in that hour and saying, hey, you got to do this. Because I'm going to tell you something. What I've been telling him to do is tell you no. That's mean, Brother Gary. Well, Elizabeth will straighten out my attitude about that later. <laughs> but you see, he's trying to worship too. Have the proper attitude. We're all servants of Christ here. Let's go on. Y'all are getting tired of that. Elizabeth's really definitely ready for me to finish. 
We need to come with priceless gifts. It's so wonderful to me. They fell down in worship. When they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. What are the priceless gifts? It isn't the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. The priceless gifts they gave of themselves. Before Jesus wants anything from you, he wants you. Have you accepted him as Lord and Savior? Does he rule your life? He's supposed to be the boss of our life. He's the king of kings. We don't, I say king, and Americans just get this dull glaze in their look because we don't understand. I don't understand royalty, kings and dukes and duchesses of this and that and the other. That makes no sense to me. When I say he's the boss of my life, that makes sense. The problem is, a lot of us don't like our bosses. And some of us don't like to be bossed. The priceless gift is, I surrender to Him. The priceless gift is not just my life, it's my will. Not my will, but thy will. Isn't that what he told us to pray in the model prayer? And a lot of times my prayers have to match up with his will. And he does these things to line up my will with his will. So that I'm praying correctly. So that I'm serving correctly. So that I'm living correctly. When I stray off, he has to bring me back. Priceless gifts, ourselves, our our wills. I'm going to mention another one that was hard for me is our families. When Matthew started talking about wanting to surrender ministry, he said, don't, no, do anything else you can besides that. He said, that's a terrible thing. It was bad advice. I just want to make sure that he was surrendering to God, not because of daddy, not because of grandpa or great-grandpa, but because God was working in his life. And so when he finally did it, he scared his mother and I to death. He called and he was crying. Dad, I've done it. I thought, oh, Lord, what have you done? A lot of things going through my mind. A college kid crying, telling his dad he's done something. I thought, oh, this is not going to be good. I said, you ready to car? No, no. <laughs> Blubbered. I said, is it a girl? No. <laughs> I surrendered to the ministry. I said, son, that's not bad. He said, yeah, but you always told me. I said, if you couldn't do anything else, if God tells you you can't do anything else, do it. But God has to tell you that, not daddy. So our wills, our family. See, I I, I really, especially when Matthew thought he might be a missionary, I thought, oh, Lord, I don't want him overseas where I can't get to him. I couldn't get to him anyway fast enough to help anything. God has our families better than we can take care of them. Does not mean abdicate abdicate your responsibility. You take care of your families. But it means your family's supposed to belong to God. Don't need to keep going on the gifts. They're priceless gifts. It can include our attitudes, our actions, all of that are gifts to God. Our surrender to Him is what He's looking for. See, the greatest gift of Christmas. Is God Himself. He gave Himself to us for us.
And we should give ourselves to him and for him. Have you done that? See, we need to ask, does our, does our worship glorify God? Do we express in our worship our gratitude for his grace? You know, I love my father-in-law. Do we do that? Yeah. It's back on. Is it back on? Yeah. All right. They thought I was done. Time to be done. Let's pray. Father, some need to come today. You've done it. You've called them to do it. Some are young, some are older. You know who they are. You've been speaking to them about it. They're scared to death, but they need to do it. Do away with their excuses and let them accept you as Lord and Savior this morning publicly. Father, some need to come in rededication. Some need to come and, and confess some things about worship. Just privately to you, but rededicate. Some need to come to join this church, put their life and work here, their worship here. Lord, you have your way with us. We're your people. In Christ's name. Stand please as we get ready to sing. Six hundred.